The Supreme Court is fast approaching its winter recess, and the caseload is piling up. Welcome to The Term, a podcast by Law360 to keep you up to speed on the nation's top bench and the justices that preside there. I'm Jimmy Hoover. I cover the court for Law360 here in Washington, and joining me now from our New York studio is Law360 editor-at-large Natalie Rodriguez. Welcome, Natalie. Hey, Jimmy. It's good to be back. It was a full week for the court, which heard six arguments over three days this week. We're going to be zeroing in on one of those cases um, involving a New York City gun law, or rather a now former New York City gun law, which has caused some hiccups with the case. We're also going to be talking about a death penalty case the Trump administration is trying to fast track to the high court. But first, Jimmy, you have an update for us on a petition we've been watching, right? That's right. Uh, The Supreme Court denied a petition for rehearing in a case called Gundy versus United States. This is a really important uh, separation of powers case that deals with what's become kind of a top priority among conservatives, uh, shrinking the federal government. So what's at issue in the case is something called the non-delegation doctrine. And this doctrine forbids Congress uh, from giving away its uh, lawmaking powers to executive branch agencies. Now, I thought this doctrine hadn't really been used since like the 1930s. Why is it coming up now? Yeah, in recent years, uh, conservatives have wanted to see a revival of the doctrine to curb what they see as the excesses of the administrative state. Um, You know, all these various alphabet soup of uh, federal agencies that regulate everything from, you know, workplace conditions to the environment, um, etc. And so seizing on that recent momentum, the petitioner in this case asked the court to use the doctrine uh, to strike down part of the Sex Offender Registration and Notification Act. Um, I mean, he essentially said that the law gives too much power to the executive. But the court didn't uh, agree with him, right, last term? Yeah, that's right. A slim majority refused to do so and, you know, use this non-delegation doctrine to strike down the law. Uh, In writing for the majority, Justice Elena Kagan, she warned that doing so would render most of government unconstitutional because, you know, Congress often has to give agencies a lot of discretion to come up with these rules. That's a pretty heady statement from Kagan. It is, um, but it also, you know, the, the ruling came much to the chagrin of the conservatives on the court, uh, like Justice uh, Gorsuch, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, and Justice Clarence Thomas. Um, but interestingly enough, the case was actually heard before um, an eight-member court because Justice Brett Kavanaugh had not yet been confirmed to the bench. So, you know, while the case was uh, pending um, a petition for rehearing from Gundy, who wanted it to be heard before a full court, a lot of people were um, curious to see what Justice Kavanaugh would have to say about this whole non doctrine. Now, I know they denied the petition again, but uh, do we have any sense from Kavanaugh on this issue? Yeah, so Kavanaugh actually took up um, uh, an opinion of his own um, in a in kind of a related case that involved the same sex offender law, not in Gundy. But anyway, it, it dealt with the same issue of non-delegation. And he finally weighed in and said, yes, I too would be the fifth vote in favor of reconsidering um, non-delegation doctrine. He wasn't fully committal in saying that he would formally you know, put teeth back into this doctrine. But um, certainly, you know, one lawyer I spoke to said that he was effectively calling on lawyers to start identifying and teeing up these cases where Congress gave these broad delegations to administrative agencies and potentially the laws could fall. It's kind of weird, though. They have five conservative justices. Uh, Any indication as to why they didn't choose to to just rehear Gundy and take up the issue now? You know, it's not totally clear. Uh, Justice Kavanaugh left that out. But um, I think you know, they just probably felt like this wasn't the case that they should be considering. I remember, you know, last term when um, this case 
was first argued and, and it was decided Justice Alito wrote a separate concurrence saying that he didn't want to single out this particular statute. So I think you'll probably see the justices kind of taking their time, sitting back and waiting for that perfect right moment when they can, you know, put some force back into the non-delegation doctrine. Well, it'll be uh, interesting to see what that case looks like down the road. Um, moving ahead to, to this week, on Monday, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in its first Second Amendment case in nearly a decade called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus the City of New York. Uh, you know, this has been really high on the radars for a lot of uh, court watchers, and we talked about it last episode. But before we get into the arguments, which I know, Jimmy, you were there for, um, I wanted to just give a quick recap. Uh, so at issue in the case is the New York City's restrictions on firearm transportation. Um, so New York City basically said that people with a premise license could only bring their guns outside the home to like one of seven shooting ranges in the city. And this gun organization had sued, arguing that the restrictions violated their Second Amendment rights, and the Supreme Court agreed to hear the case. While the case was pending, though, the New York City relaxed those restrictions to allow gun owners to bring firearms to shooting ranges and second homes outside the city. Since then, the parties have been battling over whether the case should be dismissed as moot. So that's kind of become more of the central issue than actual the Second Amendment rights issue. Um, and the Supreme Court weighed in on that, that dispute, the mootness point, um, at arguments Monday. Jimmy, you were in the courtroom what did the justices have to say about whether the case should live or not? Yeah, well, you're definitely right that this mootness question has become the major issue in this um, Second Amendment case, which has become less of a Second Amendment case than a civil procedure case. Uh, you know, you saw that the the liberal justices seemed pretty convinced that the case was, you know, not a live controversy anymore and that it should be dismissed as moot. And the two most conservative members of the court, um, Justices Sam Alito and Neil Gorsuch, you know, they kind of predictably came on the the other side. Uh, I would just say really quickly about Justice Ginsburg. She came out swinging from, you know, asking the first question out of oral arguments, and she had a little health scare over the over the November break, so that was uh, reassuring to see her combative spirit yeah, back in play. For, for a minute there, I, I think a lot of court watchers weren't even sure if she'd be there for oral arguments that day, right? Yeah, that's right. She was, you know, she was hospitalized um, in late November with uh, chills and fever symptoms, but she was treated and, and released, um, discharged from the hospital, you know, just a day later. So uh, she's definitely, uh, RBG is back, I can safely report, <laughs> <laughs> having been in the the oral, uh, the oral courtroom that day. But yeah, moving back to the to the case, uh, it was really interesting to, to, to watch Chief Justice uh, Roberts, um, you know, talk about this mootness issue. He didn't give a whole lot of signs, but, uh, you know, what he did say kind of suggested that he um, is looking for ways around the, uh, you know, adding a, a big Second Amendment ruling to what is already a very controversial term. Well, if he does, I guess we'll have to wait a while longer then to see a major Second Amendment case, right? That's right. I mean, there are a few in the pipeline, but um, like I said, he just didn't seem at, at oral arguments to have a, a big appetite for, for weighing in on this case. He was virtually silent other than to kind of seek reassurances from New York City's attorney in this case that, you know, if he were, if the court were to moot the case, um, dismiss it, um, that wouldn't, you know, prejudice um, the petitioners going forward in another lawsuit. So he, he kind of was looking for a little bit of cover fire. Just briefly, I want to mention Justice uh, Brett Kavanaugh, who was seen as kind of the other moderating conservative vote 
um, in this case. He actually joined Clarence Thomas in his <laughs> uh, perennial silence for the hour-long hearing. So I suppose we'll have to wait for the opinion to see what he has to say in this case. Well, we'll be watching. Um, we'll also be watching another case that's popped up on our radar. On Monday, the Trump administration asked the Supreme Court to let it move forward on several federal executions. Uh, the case is on appeal straight from the D.C. District Court, which had put a preliminary injunction on the executions and brings up some interesting states' right issues and, of course, access to justice concerns. Yeah, it's not often that you see, you know, the federal government as a party in these capital cases. I mean, they're extremely rare, these, uh, you know, federal executions, are they not? Yeah, there's only been like three in the modern era, basically, and there haven't been any federal executions for like over a decade. Um, but the DOJ announced in the summertime that it's planned to move forward on several cases that have exhausted their appeals and where the conviction happened over 15 years ago, saying it's the right thing to do to move forward on this. And the, you know, they kind of see it as a responsibility and for the, justice and rule of law. This kind of seems like an initiative of, of, you know, Attorney General Bill Barr, because, you know, there was this Right, this informal moratorium, and suddenly he, he takes the top job at the DOJ, and, and now that this is a, a kind of a top priority for them, right? Exactly. And and they were moving, you know, kind of full steam ahead. The first of these was scheduled for Monday, December 9th. Um, but the district court put the brakes on those plans, saying that the way the government plans to execute the prisoners is improper. Well, So what is the alleged impropriety here in, in the way that these executions are going to go about? So the federal government's plan was to use lethal injection, which is you know pretty much the most common um, method used along among states right now. Um, it was planning, though, to use a single drug known as pentobarbital. A lot of states do use pentobarbital, but many use it in some mix with other drugs. And basically, the argument is that the Federal Death Penalty Act says that the federal government has to follow the death penalty methods of the state where the convicted is in. Um, so, you know, if they're located in a federal prison in Texas or, you know, in Alabama, they have to follow the methods of that state's um, execution. But there's a question as to how narrow or how broad that should be. The DOJ argues that historically that's meant just following the method of execution, i.e. lethal injection over electrocution. But the district court opened it up to a broader reading, um, like that it has to follow the exact drug cocktail or arguably even how, you know, an intravenous catheter is inserted, you know, has to be the same as the way the state does it. So they don't want to give the federal government any, uh, the Bureau of Prisons specifically, any kind of, you know, wiggle room to implement the execution method of their choice. Exactly. And the DOJ is arguing that the district court is imposing like a whole new set of standards and how the federal government you know, has to, you know, follow the state government's uh, procedures and that it's basically turning the supremacy clause on its head and subordinating federal law enforcement to, like, state approval, basically. Um, I will say, though, 14 states um, filed an Amici brief supporting the government's plan to move forward with federal executions. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, just where... Uh, everyone lands on this. The Trump administration is seeking a quick answer on its filing, which, uh, you know, I don't think is a surprise to many. Um, uh, it seems to be kind of the regular MO with the high court lately is to kind of seek a emergency uh, ruling, basically. 
Yeah, and this case seems to have that perfect mix of very controversial issues between the death penalty, which always seems to get the goat of the Supreme Court justices. You know, last term we saw them sniping at each other through their dueling opinions about in these capital cases. And now that you have something as, you know, hi- historically significant as, you know, the DOJ ending its um, kind of informal moratorium on death, uh, uh, death penalty cases. I suspect you'll see a lot of um, you know infighting among among the justices on this one. You know whether it's you know uh, in the words of the conservatives, just a pure dilatory tactics on the part of the um, you know uh, death row inmates, or uh, you know you'll hear Justice Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan saying that no, there's a lot of substantive due process issues in these um, cases. So yeah, well, thanks for uh, walking through that, Natalie. And I think that's all the time we have uh, for today, right? Yeah, that's right. We'll be back next week to recap the arguments that are scheduled. Uh, Thanks so much, Jimmy. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We'd like to thank our producers and editors, Stephen Trader and Danielle Smith, and our executive producer, Amber McKinney. Music for the show comes from Slender Beats. For more information about all the high court action, please go to law360.com slash the term. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Just search Law 360 and the term. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.